Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? Awesome. Yeah. Pray that that's not like a plastic thing ever where we're like when we, people ask us, how are you? I'm good. And like inside of us going, man, I'm really not good because... Um, like, I want my eye to be single. Amen. I want every day when I wake up for what I'm looking at, what I'm thinking about, and what I'm seeing to pass through the lens of Him and who He is and His promises. And not that I, like, am oblivious to the fact that there's things going on that maybe aren't good, but I'm never oblivious to the fact that in spite of all those things, He's with me. And so I can't see them the way I would see them if He wasn't. Like literally my perspective is so changed that when I look with my eye, it's single and I see things through a lens of he's with me and he's for me and he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. And so like no matter what I see or no matter what happens or what I hear or news that might come or, or no matter what happens during the day, I can't see and hear anything apart from the promise that he's with me and that he's working all things together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. And like I want that to be so deeply ingrained in me that my response, no matter what I'm asked, how are you doing, is good because I'm answering from a place of who and what I am in Him, not what's going on around me or in my circumstances. And yeah, sometimes, you know, there may be some things where you have to like talk things through with people or say, you know, right now I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that. But it's never from a place of hopelessness. It's never from a place of despair. It's always from a place of, I know He's promised better. I haven't seen it this moment. <clears throat> but I believe that I will, and I know that I will. And so that's directing what I'm saying. So um, I just this morning, like, I want to talk about something I think is really, I want to make it as simple as possible, because I think it's something that a lot of times when we talk about it, it can be confusing or, um, or just talking to people. They have questions about stuff like this. And, and so I want to talk to us a little bit about the law and being free from the law and what that looks like in the life of someone um, who's born again. I felt like during worship, I needed to share this with somebody. Um, <clears throat> the only battles that God has ever called you into and only promised to fight for, or I'm sorry, the only battles that God has ever promised to fight for you are the ones that he calls you into. If you're fighting battles and you feel like you're being defeated left and right and everywhere you turn, it might be because you're fighting a battle he's never called you to fight. You may be trying to take a territory he's never called you to take, or you may be trying to walk in something that you're not ready to walk in yet. Remember when the Israelites were going into the land of Canaan? He said, I will go before you like a hornet, and I will drive them out, but I will not drive them all out, lest thorn and thistle should overtake the land. I will drive them out little by little as you are able to... I can't remember the exact word he used there, but if I did, it would be really good. As you're able to handle it, as you're able to occupy it, as you're able to actually live in and enjoy the blessing of the land that he cleared. If the Israelites possess, as you're able to possess the land. There you go. And so what we see saying to the Israelites is, listen, I'm giving you this land. It's all yours. 
and I'm going to go before you, I'm going to drive out the enemy. But you have to come in and actually believe that and drive the enemy out. It was a co-laboring thing. It was, I'm doing this, you're going to do this. I'm going to defeat the enemy, now you go and walk and defeat the enemy. And so he called them into that and he said, it's all yours, I'm giving this entire land, but I'm only going to drive the enemy out for a little bit at a time as you are able to come in and possess. And once you've possessed that, then I'll drive them out of the next place and you can come in and possess that. And then when you possess that, I'll drive them out of the next place. Why? He said this, he said, if I just go in and drive every bit of the enemy out of the land, the places where they live and they occupy will become overrun with thorns and thistles. The vines that they've planted will become overrun and won't produce grapes. The fields that they've sown will become overrun with thistles and won't produce wheat. The wells that they've dug will become soiled and closed off. If I go ahead of you and drive them completely out, it will be good for the peace that you can possess, but the rest of the land would become overgrown. So when he called them into it, he said, listen guys, I'm just going to drive them out as you're able to possess it. Don't go any farther than I've driven them out. In your life, don't go any farther than God has driven them out. Don't try to take something He hasn't called you to take yet. Don't fight battles He hasn't called you to fight yet. Only fight the things He's called you to fight. Because there may be something going on that He's doing in you before you get to that next piece of land that He wants established and accomplished in your heart so that when you actually come into that place, you're able to possess it and it's a blessing, not a curse. And if we get out ahead of Him, you can start getting into some thorns and thistles. Or you can end up having to fight giants on your own. All right. Me and Hannah and Gladys are stoked about that. <laughs> um, if you have your Bibles, open it up to Acts chapter 13. Verse 38. It says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And through Him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. God, I just thank You for Your Word. I thank You it's alive. I thank You that it's, it's, it's speaking, that, that as we read from it, that we hear You and we see You. God, I pray that our ears would be open to hear, our mind to understand, and our hearts to receive Your Word, that Your Word would go forth like seed, God that would produce a crop of fruit in our lives, that a world that is lost and does not know you would taste the fruit of our lives and see that you're good. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. I'm serious, you guys. Listen, if the world tastes the fruit of the Spirit in your life, they'll know that he's good, even if they don't know who he is. At some point, people will start to ask you. You know, I've noticed this. Every time you should be angry, you're not angry. Every time you should be impatient, you're not impatient. When I was a jerk to you, you responded to me in kindness. What is going on? And they don't even know that it's him that they've been tasting of and seeing that he's good. But they know that what they've been tasting is really good and they want more of it. And so at that point, evangelism becomes easy because all you're doing is pointing them to the thing their heart is longing for. You're not trying to sell them this thing of saying like, oh, I'm telling you, like, you should say this prayer and you should come here and you should give this and do that. You're not selling them something. It's not a multi-level marketing scheme where you're trying to get them to say yes to something before they even know what they're saying yes to. It's this thing of saying, I believe that if I live my life the way he's called me to, people will be attracted to him and me. And then when they want to know what it is, it's super easy then. It's the low-hanging fruit that you're just walking along. It's so easy to pick because their heart is already longing for it and all you're doing is pointing them to the thing that they want. You're not trying to convince them that they want. They're convinced. They just don't know who or what it is yet. Isn't that amazing to think that like through our lives lived, people could fall in love with a father they've never seen. And then all they need is someone to say, oh, you mean him. 
that's what you're looking for. Let me show you the one that your heart has been longing for. Let me show you the reason. And so, anyway, so it, this is talking about the, uh, the law. And he's saying, Jesus Christ came and set you free. Um, for the forgiveness of sins proclaimed to you. Therefore, everyone who believes is freed from all things. From all things. If you believe, you're freed from all things. There is nothing that you're not free from if you believe. Well, I don't feel free. Well, thank God that your feelings are not truth, that His Word is, and tell your feelings to line up with what truth says. Because if you don't believe that you're free, you might as well not be, because you'll live like a slave even though the price was already paid for you. We're like people, if we're not careful, we'll be like people who the price has been paid for our freedom, yet we continue to live as slaves because we don't actually believe that we can step across that line. And so we stay inside the fence and we live the way that we lived when we were slaves, even though the price has already been paid. It's why as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Why? Because what you believe about yourself is what you will actually live as though it's true. It doesn't matter. Truth that you don't know or believe does nothing for you. It's truth that you actually believe that changes your life and sets you free. It's why our... our, Let's check this out. It's why our reproductive organs are covered with truth. You're girded with a loincloth of truth because you will reproduce what you believe is true whatever you believe is true is what you will reproduce it's why your reproductive organs when you're walking the spirit are covered by truth because when you're covered by truth then everywhere you go you'll actually reproduce truth and not some perversion of truth that you believe to be true that was free (laughs) now back to our regularly scheduled programming I have so much fun, you guys, like just spending time with him and hearing from him and then coming here and just getting to open my mouth and let it come out and knowing that you guys are cool with that. I love it. Um, so he said that you've been freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. See, the law had no power to free people from the power of sin. It couldn't. The law had the ability to show people what they should do, what was right and what was wrong, but it had no power for them to actually live out what it showed them. And so the law was, was, of Moses came and it couldn't free people. And then, so what it required was is that for, for humanity, okay, back to the beginning in the garden, Adam and Eve, they're born. Actually, Adam is created, right? Adam is created and he's created in the image of God, so he is love. And he is complete in God. Yet there is no person like him. There's no suitable mate for him for him to actually love. And because he's created in the image of likeness of God, because he is love, there's this burning desire inside of him to have something or someone to love. And he searched through all the kingdom of the animals searching for... I'm so glad that he didn't find like a hippo suitable. It says that. It says he looked throughout the entire creation. He could find no suitable mate. That means they looked. And thankfully, when he got done looking at everything that was created, he said, no, there's nothing here that's suitable. There's no created being that is suitable or worthy for Adam to pour the love of God that he's created in and from onto. So he reaches inside of man. And he creates woman. And now, he's perfectly created in the image and likeness of God, and he's perfectly able of actually reproducing what he was created by. 
and he can actually love. He's not created for himself. See, if man was created for himself, he would never have needed Eve. If Adam was created for himself, there would have been no need for Eve. We would have never had Eve, and there would have been no need to reproduce. There would have been no need for children. He would have been perfectly self-sufficient and perfectly happy and perfectly able to live the life God created him to live simply alone with God receiving everything that was in the world. Remember, he said, all this I've created for you, Adam. Everything was his to receive. It was all for him. And if he's made for himself, he is perfectly content in the garden because everything is for him and everything is his. But he's not content, and it says it's not good for man to be alone. Why? Because inside of him, he's created in the image of God, there's this desire to give, to not live selfishly, but to live selflessly. Because God is a giver. It's what he's who he is. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. It's a revelation of the love of God. What must love do? It must give. And so because there is no one for him to give the love to that's inside of him, God reaches inside of man, creates woman, and now the cycle is complete because now man not only is receiving the love of the Father and living in all the things that were created for him, but now he has someone to love and someone to share that with and someone to live and and share life with. And then sin happens. Sin comes along, and all sin is, is this. This is it. Ever, every single sin that has ever been and ever will be committed boils down to one thing. Thinking selfishly. That's it. And for the first time ever, Eve is enticed that there's something she needs that she doesn't have that if she had it, life would be better. And it's a lie because all things that she needed to live the life that God created humanity to live had already been freely given to them. They were all for them. It was all there. And so she takes the fruit of the tree and she eats it. And first thing that happens, she takes it and gives it to her husband. Why? Because she still has the image of God inside of her. She still has the desire to share. And so she now is torn. She has this knowledge of self, but she also has this image of God that she was created in. And so she shares the fruit with her husband, and he eats it, and now his eyes are open, and the very first thing that happens is they both become aware of self, and they both become aware that they have a need to cover themselves and hide themselves one from another and from the one who created them. And selfishness enters into the world through sin it was never created for that if adam was meant to be selfish eve would have never been created but he wasn't and she was and so now this perfect world has had self enter into it and you can tell that self has entered into it because when god comes and says adam what have you done why did he question adam for what eve did Have you ever thought about that? Because there's an established order in the garden and because Adam was supposed to be the head over and the protector of his family. Listen, there's so much counter-teaching right now going on in the world that tries to correct the error that has been preached, which is 
basically saying that, you know, women should be subservient to their husbands, and women are the weaker vessel, and women are the lesser, and they should be dominated. And men for centuries and for generations have used that to beat women into submission and to use that to lord over women. But the problem that has happened is, and it happens every single time we do this in the church, is when we go off the road into one ditch, we stay in that ditch for a while, and we come out of that ditch so hard that we end up in the other ditch on the other side. And now there's this teaching out there and there's this desire out there for the church to say that there is no order in the home, that man is not the head over the woman, even as Christ is over the church. That's in your Bible. And so there's this thing that tries to destroy that. The problem is, is this, is God cannot hold Adam responsible for what Eve did unless there was a responsibility for Eve to actually listen to and be, sur- and to be submitted to her husband. You're the priest of your home, man. One day you will stand before God and you will answer for your family. Now, you won't answer for how they responded to your leadership. That's on them. But you will answer for how you led your home and whether or not you led them as Christ and loved them as Christ led and loved His church. It's not your responsibility. You will not answer for the way that your children... Listen, you won't give an account for the way that your children decided to live their lives as they grew up and started to make their own decisions as adults. You will not answer for that, but you will answer for this. Did you train them up in the way that they would go so that when they were old, they wouldn't depart from it? Did you lead them into the knowledge of who I am? Did you display the love of the Father to them? Were you a help or a hindrance to them discovering who I am and what I'm like? We'll answer for that. We'll stand there alone. Just like our wives and our children will stand there alone and answer for how they responded to the leadership that was given to them by the priest of the home, by the husband. That's not a bad thing. It's not. It should never be heavy-handed. If a husband is actually loving his wife the way Christ loved the church, did you notice that Jesus never had to demand anything from his disciples? They wanted to do what he said. Did you notice that none of them ever said, why do we have to listen to you? What makes you think you're the boss? Why? Because they saw the way that he lived his life selflessly and the way he loved them, and it created a desire within them to actually want to follow his leadership. I've never sat in that office right there and counseled a couple that's married and had the husband say, I love my wife perfectly like Christ loved the church. I lay my life down for her and she just won't listen. She won't even consider what I'm saying. There's no submission in her. There's no desire to follow my leadership. It just doesn't happen. I've had plenty of selfish people complain that their wife won't follow along with their selfish desires. Because when self becomes involved in anything, it ruins it. And they know that self was involved because God comes and he says, Adam, what have you done? He can only hold Adam accountable because there was a responsibility for Eve to actually follow the leadership of Adam. If I leave my home and I say, Aaliyah, you are responsible for Jackson's actions while we're gone. I can only tell her that if I tell Jackson, Jackson, you have to listen to Aaliyah while we're gone. I can't tell Aaliyah accountable for something that Jackson is not responsible to follow. It doesn't work that way. It would be pure frustration. It would be wrong. It would be expecting something of her that's completely unreasonable. The only way that I can hold Aaliyah accountable is if I hold Jackson accountable to listen to what Aaliyah says. And the same goes here. He says, Adam, what have you done? And immediately, Adam 
protects himself at the expense of God and at the expense of his wife. It was the woman that you gave me. Imagine, he's blaming God in that moment. He's literally saying, it is not my fault. She made me do it, and you created her. So therefore, it's her fault, or it's your fault, or it's both of yours' fault, but it's not mine. Why? Because as soon as self is introduced, we begin to want to preserve ourselves at the expense of other people. And for the first time ever, a man is trying to live at the expense of another. And it didn't stop in the garden. So, the law has to come. Eventually it's established. Why? Because man is now living selfishly. And when man is living selfishly, he's capable of anything. Believe me, if you're living selfishly, there is nothing that you are not capable of. We say, I don't know how people could ever do that. I do. Because you're living for your own good at the expense of other people, and there is no line that eventually you will not cross if you're living that way, if it's presented to you. We think like, man, I, I could never do that. I promise you that person didn't stand where you are and imagine one day doing that. But they did stand where you are and imagine doing something one step above where they were. And when they got to that step, it was a little easier to see the next one. And when they got to that one, it was a little easier to see the next one. And pretty soon, you're so many steps from where you started that had someone asked you at the beginning if you would ever end up here, you would say no because you couldn't imagine how that could possibly happen. But when you were standing here and someone said, can you imagine this? It's pretty easy to imagine because it's right there within reach. Living selfishly, there is no end to what you are capable of doing. And so the law has to come to show people what they should and shouldn't do. Because when the image of God was given up in the garden and living selflessly was sacrificed on the altar of self, now man is no longer living the way he was created to and he's now living from others for himself rather than for others from himself. And so the law comes and says, okay, here's some laws, here's some rules for you to follow because you're living selfishly. But what could it never do? The Word tells us it could never free people from themselves ever the best you could do was manage your selfishness the best you could do is say okay i know that i'm prone to selfish i know i'm prone to be selfish i know i'm prone to this so here's some rules and i'll live by these rules that way i keep my selfishness in check you understand that a lot of people believe that christianity is just living by a set of rules and keeping something in check rather than actually having something destroyed and being set free from it So the law comes and it says don't do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You realize that the very first law if that one would have been followed and was capable of being followed it would have made the rest of the laws completely unnecessary. Well, That's not just my theory. Jesus said that. Because he said What's the greatest law? Well, if you would have taken this one, the rest of them would, on that hangs all the law of Moses and the prophets. But since you weren't capable of this one, these ones had to be put in place. Because since this one isn't in place, all of these things are now in play. And so you have to be told, no, you shouldn't steal. No, you shouldn't kill. 
You shouldn't murder people. If you love God and you understand that everybody that you see is created in His image and likeness, the desire to take their life, it doesn't even enter into your mind because you understand that they are created in His image and in His likeness and by Him. And the, fact, the thought of murdering somebody would never enter your mind if you actually are walking in love with Him and keeping Him as your God. But when your God is yourself, you're capable of just about anything. See, and that's the problem. It's not that the devil's on the throne. It's either God is or I am. It's not the devil. The devil takes advantage of the fact that God's not on the throne in my life and comes along and distracts me and entices me into all kinds of things. But the only way he has a foothold in my life is if I'm actually on the throne and living for myself. Now suddenly the things that he's offering become enticing and become something that I actually would consider and would do. But if God's on the throne, he doesn't even have a foothold in your life. That's why you have to give him one. He can't take it. Do not give the devil a foothold. We think he's way more powerful than he is. You know, in Revelation it says when we see him, that we'll look at him and say, is this the one? Is this the one for in, whom the, in front of whom the nations trembled? Why? Because we think he's so powerful, we don't understand he has zero power except what we give him. He starts off a snake in the guardians of a seven-headed dragon in Revelation. Where did he get the authority and the power from? It wasn't from the Father. Okay, so the law comes and people try their best to live by and with that comes sacrifice and with that comes seasons and days and years and all these things have to be established and there's this order and people try to follow it and they can't, they try to follow it and they can't, they try to follow it and they can't because all along it's pointing them to the fact that there is no salvation from themselves until an actual Savior comes. And now Jesus comes onto the scene. And he comes onto the scene, and they all are wondering what he's going to do, and they all wonder what, what, you know, why did he come, and all that stuff. And the thing that he came for was so that we could actually not just be managed, not just manage ourselves, and not just live and follow rules perfectly, but so that we could actually be set free from the thing that makes us want to break the rules to begin with and live a life of freedom. And so Jesus comes, and Paul writes in Galatians 5, we're going to be all over the book of Galatians. We're going to go a little late. Uh, Galatians 5.24, he says, Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The law is for those who have not crucified their flesh and who are not being led by the Spirit. They're being led by the Spirit of this world, not the Spirit of God. And so they need a law that will help them to contain their selfishness and so that it doesn't ruin other people's lives. So Paul's saying this. He's saying, listen, the law was for those who had not crucified their their flesh and its passions and desires. He says, now we belong to Christ. Now we who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. He's saying, if you've been born again and you actually are alive because the Spirit of God coming and taking up residence inside of you and changing you from the inside out, if that's the reason that you actually are alive, then that's also the thing that you should walk by. You were born again. The Spirit of this world left. The Spirit of God came to live inside of you. You're a new creation in Christ. It was never meant to be say a prayer, go back to living by the law the way you were before you encountered Christ Jesus. You were saved unto something. Now the Spirit of God has come in and taken up residence inside of you. And so if that's the reason that you're alive, that should also be the reason that you live every single day and that you walk by the same thing that brought you back to life. You were dead in your sins, but God... 
And so, so Paul's, and I'm, I'm trying to get to something quickly and try to figure out what I need to, to cut out here or not. But So Paul's writing to the church of Galatians. They've received this gospel. They've become born again by the Spirit. And in Galatians uh, chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is among like the strongest language Paul uses in any of his letters, and he's trying to ask them this very one thing. He says, you guys are, you were born again by the Spirit of God, and now you're trying to attain something by going back to the law. We know he's talking about the law, because a little while later he talks about, you guys are looking into circumcision and all these things, right? So he says, I want you guys, I want to ask you something. How did you get to be born again? Was it by your good works? Was it because you deserved it? Was it because you were good people? Was it because of the things that you did? Or was it the work of the Spirit of God inside of you that came inside of you and you were born again a new creation? How did that start? And if that's how it started, why on earth would you think that now you need to take matters into your own hands and begin living a certain way as though you're going to attain something better by the things that you can do than the thing that you were given when you were born again by the Spirit? And so he's writing to the Galatians and he's dumbfounded, really. I think Paul is because he doesn't understand this. He's like, I just want to ask you guys this. Like literally, when you become born again and you understand what it is to be set free and you understand that who you were died, that they they actually died, that 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 person is no longer exists, that they are dead, and that the new me is a new creation. I am not who I was. I'm a new creation in Christ. Something that never existed before now exists. And the person that was, was crucified with Christ. And the new me was raised to fullness of life with Him. When we understand that, for us to try to go back and live the way we did before we understood that makes absolutely no sense. And when, if you see people trying to do that, you have to look at them and be like, what, what are you doing? Why would, you, like, why would you try to go back and live the way that you lived before you were born again, now that you're born again, now that the Spirit of God has come? Why would you try to obtain something through your own works that you got through Him? Like, I had something from my past resurface recently. It was something that I, that I, had, I had done when I was younger, and I'd been forgive, you know, sought forgiveness for, and I, and, and I know that I'm, it's no longer who I am, and, and someone's still holding on to something. And, and, and they want, like, to me, they want to tell me how badly it hurt, and, and what I did was wrong, and what I did was absolutely wrong, and I'm sure it hurt. But what the thing I can't do is I can't defend the person that died. And, I, and, and I'll actually stand there, and I'll throw stones at that person too, because I hate him too. But what they won't understand and what I can't divorce from my mind is that's not who I am anymore. That's not me. That person died. They're dead. I will join you in throwing rocks and stoning them and let the stones pile up as long as you want. I hate him too. That's why he had to die. But when you believe that, you can't defend that because that's no longer who you are. It's why Paul could stand in front of a church full of people that he persecuted and say, we've wronged no one. 
Can you imagine this letter's being read and, and they tell you, this is coming from Saul. You know him as Saul, but it's really Paul. And they say, okay. And they're going to read this letter to the church and all these people out there who were terrified of him because he was persecuting the church and because he was the most feared man in all of Christianity and because he was hunting them down and because their family members had been dragged off by him are now going to sit and listen to a letter and they have to hear these words come out. Receive us for we have wronged no one. Are you kidding me? Look, just because your name changed. But see, that's the problem. Is it wasn't just a name that changed. He wasn't a fixed up version of Saul. He actually was a new creation. And that new creation's name was Paul. Sometimes I think it would be good if when we got born again, our name changed the way his did. I literally do. Because the who I am is not who I was. So far removed from that. But I want my name to be redeemed too. That's why we don't. I do. I, I want even my name to be redeemed. I want everything to be redeemed. I don't want anything wasted. And so Paul's writing to these guys, and this is what he's, he's expressing to them. It's like, you guys have received the greatest thing ever, this gospel that we preach to you. And yet now you're departing from it, and you're going back to a weak system that never could set you free to begin with. And, 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 and he's just, he's really dumbfounded by that. In fact, in Galatians 4, um, chapter 4, 9 through 11, um, I didn't write it down because I, I knew our word guy would be on point with it. Um, in Galatians 4, chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, Paul's talking to them, and he's basically saying, are you guys now returning to elementary things? You're observing days and seasons and even years. Okay, so he says, now, however, that you have came, come to be acquainted with and understand and know the true God, or rather to be understood and known by God, how can you turn back and again, again to the weak and beggarly and worthless elementary things of all religions before Christ came, whose slaves you once more want to become? You observe particular days and months and seasons and years. You guys, this is why you won't hear us preach about Shemitah years here. Shemitah. Has everyone heard about that? It was a big thing going around this year. It's the year of Shemitah. It's the year when debts are canceled. It's the year when, when prosperity flows. And it happens every seven years. And we happen to be in a Shemitah year last year. And in the Christian world, and a lot of the Christian world, big deals were being made about it. There's books about it everywhere. And people were talking about it and preaching about it. And it's the year of Jubilee. And all these things are happening. And they're proclaiming to people that debts are released. And but here's the thing. is this. is that that was part of a system that we were set free from when we were born again. And we no longer have to observe every single year is the year of Shemitah for the Christian. For the born again believer, every year is the Jubilee. Why? Because Jesus said this, I came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. 2,050 years ago, it was the favorable year of the Lord. In 2016, it's the favorable year of the Lord. In 2017, it'll be the favorable year of the Lord. And see, the problem is, is if you put your hopes in things that diminished when Jesus came and died that were supposed to pass away and end when Jesus came and gave His life on the cross and a new and better covenant was brought, if you put your hopes in Old Testament and Old Covenant things like observing days and years and seasons and feasts, man, there's so many people that are caught up in wanting to observe these feasts and stuff. For a historical thing, that's awesome. But they have no power left in them for the born-again new covenant believer 
Why? Because what the blood of bulls and goats could not do, He did when He sent His Son. So don't try to run back and find something in something that has passed away and is now no longer for you. And and Paul would say the same thing to us. He would walk into a bookstore and it would say Christian bookstore and he would walk in thinking, sweet, these are going to be all books about the new covenant. He would walk in and see Shemitah, Passover feast and how to prepare a Seder and go, wait a minute. Having been set free, are you now returning to the elementary things from which you have graduated from? You're now starting to observe days and seasons and years? You guys were given the gospel. What are you doing? You're trying to find something in a system that was, not ever, was never supposed to be forever, and you guys are trying to find something greater than what you have in Christ there? It's not there. If it was there, He wouldn't have come, but He did, so it's not. Don't get caught up in that stuff. Look, it's cool to study that stuff for historical things and like if someone wants to do a, a, you know, a Seder dinner or something like that. And like, you know, it's cool because Jesus did that stuff. Jesus was Jewish. He was. He was a Jew. You're not. You were grafted in. Just so you know. I'm just making sure. I mean, some of you might be. If you are, you still need to be born again and be grafted in. Because in that system, the, the religious system that was, there is no forgiveness of sins and there remains no more power because the better has come. And so Paul's telling them this. He says, okay, so you guys have decided to follow one thing. And this is the danger about this stuff. And this is really what I want to talk to you about. This is the danger in deciding, well, Shemitah is cool. It's exciting. It's fun. And putting your faith in it. The danger is Paul says, okay, so you guys have adopted one part of the old covenant and he was talking about circumcision see people came to them and said listen okay that's all well and good this jesus thing but you know you still have to be circumcised and paul says to them listen to me if you go and get circumcised and he's talking about to attain righteousness not for the reasons that people do it today he says christ is of no value to you now you have to obey all the law Because you've chose to adopt one part of the law for your righteousness. That's where you're finding your righteousness. And if you want to find your righteousness in this one thing, listen, if you want to find your blessing in the year of Shemitah, then you have to find your righteousness in obeying the rest of the law. Sorry. It's the truth. We can't pick and choose. There's no hybrid. It's Moses or Jesus but there's no Mises. (laughs) It's one or the other. It's the truth. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. Some of you guys bought those books, didn't you? Yeah. I would tell you to raise your hand if you did, but you wouldn't. This whole letter in Galatians is basically Paul saying this to them. He's saying, listen, you guys. It even goes so strong as to one point. He says, I don't care if an angel comes and preaches a different gospel other than the gospel which you receive from us of Jesus Christ. Let him be cursed. Why? Because if there's anything that tries to get you to go back and find your righteousness in the law, it is not God. You were set free from the law. You know what the great thing about being set free from the law is? 
It means that you've been set free from yourself because the law only applies to people who are selfish and living for themselves. See, that's what being born again and having the nature, being partakers of the divine nature means. It says that you were once of the spirit of this world, but now you've been made partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? It means the very nature of God is back inside of you, and you no longer live at the expense of others for yourself. You live at the expense of yourself for others. That's why Jesus said, here's the two laws that matter. The first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you're living in love with him, and from that place of loving him and being loved by him, you're actually looking to love other people, then you will fulfill every single law because the only way you can break a law is if you live for yourself. And you've now been set free from that. You're no longer a slave to yourself. See, you were never a slave to the enemy. You were slaves to sin. You were a slave to yourself. And he came along and used that to his advantage to get you to serve him because he's a slave to himself and he cares about no one but himself. So, the one thing that, that comes up when we talk about this, and I, I want to talk about it because I don't ever want there to be a message that I preach and then people leave and say, yeah, but what about when Jesus said this? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so many people have used this verse to say, no, 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 Jesus said the law hasn't passed away, that that as long as there is a heaven and an earth, that the law would be in place. And if you say that the law has passed and that it's no longer applicable, then you mean that the prophetic has uh, passed away too and it's no longer applicable. And so people use that argument to try to handcuff people. You either have to accept that the law is still in effect today or you have to accept that the prophetic is no longer in, in, in effect for today. People have used that argument many times to try to say that, you know, well, no, it has to be one or the other. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't say that all the prophetic would be done or that he came to, to fulfill all the prophetic forever and that it would be done away with. But he did say about the law, he said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say that to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what was he saying there? He said, until everything is accomplished, as long as there's a heaven and an earth, the law or any part of the law will not pass away. But he also said that he came to fulfill it. Now fast forward real quick um, to John chapter 19, verse 30. See, Jesus said, look, I didn't come to live a life outside of the law. This is what he's saying. I didn't come so that I could show you some new way of living that's outside of the law. I came and I'm going to live my life and perfectly fulfill the law because you couldn't perfectly fulfill the law so that I can become the sacrifice and none of the law will pass away until everything is accomplished. Okay, remember, that's what he said. Not one letter of the law shall pass away until everything is accomplished. John chapter 19, verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That word, um, it is, that word finished there in the Greek is a word teleo, and it means accomplished. It means discharged as in a debt being canceled. So Jesus says this, he says, listen, the law is going to be in effect on this earth as long as there's a heaven and earth until every single thing is accomplished. And then on the cross, he says, it is 
accomplished. It is finished. It is fulfilled. What was he saying? He's saying, I have perfectly kept the law. I have not stumbled once. And now I'm giving my life and I'm going to breathe out and release my spirit into the Father's hand. And when I do that and death comes into my body, the law has been accomplished and has been fulfilled perfectly by man. And all the prophecies that pointed to the one who was coming. This is what he's trying to tell them. You guys, every single one of the prophets before me that prophesied about my coming, I came to fulfill that. Why? Because the Jews knew the prophecies. And they were looking for the Messiah. And they're looking for the one. He's saying, listen, not all that stuff isn't going to be abolished. I came to fulfill all that stuff. When you see me do what I came to earth to do, every single bit of the, pro- uh, of the prophecies and every bit of the law will be fulfilled. And then it will actually pass away from the responsibility of the believer. Why? Because there comes a day in your life where you give up your own spirit into His hands and you receive the Spirit of God into you. And at that point, for you, it is finished. And you are no longer a slave to the law, no longer under obligation to the law. You're set free from the law. You're set free. Why? Because you've been set free from yourself. You've been born again, recreated in the image and the likeness of God, and you've now become the thing that Adam was created to be in the garden. You have become, and that is love. And now the only law that you have to fulfill is to love God. Why? Because if you're walking in love with God, you always have something to give. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because if you're walking full of God's love, you're going to need somebody to love. Because you weren't created for you. That's what the law was for, was to manage selfishness. That's why you had to die, so that you could be set free from yourself. And that's why Jesus said, it's finished. Because he saw the day that you would give up your own life and take his, just like he gave up his own life and took yours. Isn't that beautiful? What started in the garden ended at the cross. What started in your life the day that you were born once into Adam ends the day that you're born again in Christ. You were born selfish. Think about it. Little kids. Mine. Who taught them to be selfish? Adam. That's why they have to be born again into Christ and the Spirit of God come inside. Who teaches us to be selfless? Second Adam. Because if we follow his example, we become people who live from love for others, not for love from others. And that's the day that true life begins and never ends. Because you're no longer alive for you. You're alive for him and for others. Now you can't be taken advantage of. Think about how freeing that is. That's why he says, whom the Son has set free will be free indeed. You're really free. Because everything that you do, there is no obligation for anyone to respond a certain way and there's no chance that you're ever disappointed. I am so disappointed in you. All that means is you didn't act the way that I wanted you to act. You didn't do for me what I wanted you to do. It's what people think love is. It's not. It's manipulation. We talk about this all the time. Listen to me. Don't ever get trapped in a relationship that is mutual manipulation and mistake it for love. Even marriage. 
Well, I will only manipulate you for the rest of your life as long as you only manipulate me for the rest of my life. This is what a lot of people are saying when they get married because they're getting married because he makes me feel good and he makes me feel special. And when I see him, stars go off and he completes me. Guess what? There's a day coming where the stars are going to fade for a little while and where if you're not complete in him, he's not going to be able to complete you. And then you're going to be out of love. And you're going to be headed for divorce. And you'll find somebody else to manipulate that only manipulates you. That's it. That's what marriage is to a lot of people. Don't fall for that. Marriage is this. I love you. So I want to spend the rest of my life loving you. And I want you to be by my side so that you're close enough for me to love anytime I want. I want to wake up in the morning next to you so that I can love you. I want to go to bed at night next to you so that I can love you. I want to pour out my life and lay it down like Christ poured out His life and laid it down for the church. Because I love you. And the other one looks at him and says, well, I love you. And I want to go to sleep next to you so that I can wake up next to you and love you forever. And I know who you are, and I think that you're amazing, and I think that, that every single day I want to love you, and I want to encourage you, and I want to support you, and I want to see you become the person that God created you to become. And you don't have to do anything for me. I know you will. See, that's the thing. It's like people are like, well, you can't have any expectations. No, there's an expectation there, but it doesn't say you have to so that I will. It's I know who you are, so I know what you're going to do. It's like when you came to church today at, at 10.30, or 10.25. If you didn't, you should have. But when you came to church at 10.30, there was an expectation that, that, that there would be people here, that the building would be unlocked. How many of you came last week? Anybody? You came last week? You did? We didn't have church last week. <laughs> you were here in spirit, right? But if we never said we're not having church and church is canceled and you would have showed up last week, there would have been an expectation that someone was here, right? When you came today, you expected someone would be here. That's okay. It's okay to expect that. What's not okay is if you were to show up last week and because there was no one here, decide that you no longer want to be associated with people and that you don't love them and that if they loved you, they would have made sure that you knew. And so they obviously don't love me because if they did, they would have valued my time and I wouldn't have drove all the way here. The least they could have done. Well, who does this sound, right? Like, thank God no one's like that in their marriage. <laughs> but it's the truth. I have an expectation that, of Patty that she's going to be a certain way and do certain things because I know who she is, so it allows me to expect that she's going to actually be who she is. But what it doesn't do is say, if she's not for a day, then I treat her differently, I respond to her differently, or I start looking for someone who acts the way that she used to. You've changed. We all have. Well, if she, listen, all right, real quick, we're, I'm kind of done with the message now. I'm just going to say something, all right? No, I'm just going to close up with this stuff, and I don't need anyone to play. Um, no, listen, just some practical marital advice. Never, ever, ever say this. I wasn't that way when she married me, so I don't know why she wants me to be that way now. He's not romantic. I wasn't romantic when you married me. Well, guess what? 
A lot has changed since the day you got married. Your tastes have changed. Your likes have changed. Your wants have changed. Your favorite car 15 years ago isn't your favorite car today. Your favorite meal 15 years ago probably isn't your favorite meal today. If those things are allowed to change, why can't you change the way that you treat your wife to respond to something that she now wants from you? Women, it's not okay if he never changes to treat him differently than if he does. See, that's why marriage has to be this thing where both people are in it for the other. Because if a woman's wanting a man to be more romantic and do certain things, you know, she just wants that. She just, that's something that she would want. She's not saying, listen, I need this so that I can love you. And if you don't do this, you don't love me. Not that, not manipulation, but she just wants that. There's a time where she didn't care if you guys went to McDonald's drive-thru and took it home and watched a movie in sweatpants. Thank God, because we did that last night. But not McDonald's. It wasn't McDonald's. But, but, but what I'm saying is, is, so maybe now she wants you to actually dress up and go to a nicer restaurant with her. If you love her and you're in it for her, you'll want to do that because it's something that is a desire of her heart. You wouldn't stand on your island and say, well, when you met me, Applebee's was good enough. Well, hopefully you've both grown. Hopefully you have changed. Hopefully you're not the man that she married. Because hopefully you're being transformed from glory to glory into the image of His Son. And the man that you were is no longer the man that you are. It's okay. But, but listen to me. I'm telling you guys, if we could learn that and just appreciate and learn to love and enjoy the changes that happen in each other as we become older, we mature, our tastes change, our likes change, our desires change. And to be excited about that and actually want to find out what is going on. You, can't, you cannot treat the, the 35-year-old woman the way you treated the 20-year-old woman. And vice versa. You can love her, but she's not the same person. She's grown. She's changed. And women, sometimes your guys don't see that. Because we like to formulize things. And so if it used to work when you were 20, it should still work when you're 35. And if the rules changed, we need to know. We need to know. Like, hey, I'm cool with that. As long as you tell me, like, hey, the rules have changed. Here's the thing, though. One thing that's beautiful about all this is this. There's one thing in this whole equation that doesn't change, and that's this. From the day that you were married until now and for the rest of your life, you have one thing that you're called to in your relationship with people, with wives, with husbands, and that's this. That you would love God and walk so full of love and in a relationship with Him that you overflow that and you pour that out onto the ones that are around And if two people are doing that, I can promise you for the rest of their lives, they will be happy, they'll be full of joy, and they'll stay together, and they won't regret having to be together, and they won't be doing it for the kids. God, we love you. We're so thankful that Jesus came and showed us a better way, God, that we were set free from the law. God, I thank you that we were set free, not from the law to do whatever it is that we would have done before we were born again, God, but that we're set free from the law to do what it is that's come into our heart now that we are. I thank you, God, that our wants and our desires line up with you. I thank you, God, that that you said that those who are in Christ have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires, God. And I thank you that we no longer live according to our selfish wants, but we live according to your lavish love. 
God, I ask that you would help us in every area of relationship, God, from marriage to friendships to brothers, sisters, husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, that you would help us to see the people around us as people to love, not as people to gain from, that we would never use people for love because that's not love. I thank you for that, God. I thank you we've been set free from ourselves. And I thank you that who you set free is free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen.